0: Hello, and welcome to a Mind Matters podcast, presented by A Light for Change, where we talk about the who, what, where, why, and how we as a community can make positive changes. The when is up to all of us, and it starts with you. Before I start, let's get into a positive zone, and I'll share my thoughts on a question from graduate thrivers, Paz Cards. The card drawn is green for creative thinking, and the question is, if you could have any talent in the world, what would it be? I have many talents that I was innately blessed with one of which is perseverance which allows me to make most things a skill others would see as a talent but if I could use if I could ask that is the powers that be to add one it would be marketing genius with a silver tongue as I am an idea person held back by my humble nature that denies my words a convincing tone. This is Season 1, Mental Health, Episode 12, The Facts and Issues Surrounding Mental Health. Knowing the facts and issues can help us to understand and be aware of what is afflicting members of our society and the science behind how we can manage mental health using our biological and neurological systems to observe. Fact 1. Mental health encompasses emotional, psychological, and social well-being. It influences our cognition, perception, and behavior. It also determines how an individual handles stress, interpersonal relationships, and decision-making. This means when we become anxious and afraid, be it in response to a physical threat or in situations where there is no real danger, our bodies experience several changes. Some of these symptoms have already been mentioned such as heart pounding, breathing more quickly, sweaty palms, and lightheadedness. These are common reactions that occur when we become anxious. Think about some of your own physical responses when you become anxious. What do you notice? You might think you are alone in reacting this way, but really we are all experiencing these types of reactions when we experience fear and anxiety. Basically, our bodies are designed to release certain chemicals when we believe a threat exists. In case we need to either run away or stand and be ready to fight, there are two important reasons why these reactions occur. One, an increase in heart rate and strength of heartbeat enables blood and oxygen to be pumped around the body faster so it may feel like your heart is pounding. An increase in the rate and depth of breathing in order to compensate for the anticipated increase in carbon dioxide production and use of oxygen. You may start to sigh, to yawn, or to notice breathlessness, choking, or smothering feelings. Tightness and pain in the chest as well. This response also reduces the blood supply to the head. And while not dangerous, you might feel dizziness, lightheadedness, blurred vision, confusion, feelings of, of unreality and hot flashes. The training CCI Center for Clinical Interventions indicates that panicking results in a redistribution of blood from areas that aren't as vital to those that are, such as away from the skin, fingers, and toes towards large vital organs. Your sp- skin might look pale, or you might feel cold, or there might be a feeling of numbness and tingling in your fingers and toes. An increase in sweating causes the body to become more slippery, making it harder for a predator to grab, and also cooling the body, preventing it from overheating. Widening of the pupils in the eyes lets in more light and enables you to better scan the environment for danger. You may notice blurred visions, spots before your eyes, Or just a sense that the light is too bright. Decreased activity of the digestive system allows more energy to be diverted to the flight or fight systems. A decrease in salivation may leave you with a dry mouth and decreased activity in the digestive system may lead to feelings of nausea or a heavy stomach. Muscle tension in preparation for flight or fight results in subjective feelings of tension, sometimes resulting in aches and pains and trembling or shaking. The whole physical process is a comprehensive one that often leaves the individual feeling quite exhausted. As you can see, these physical alarm responses are important when facing danger, but they can also occur when there is a false alarm, when there is no danger. Hyperventilation and anxious breathing Are ones you probably already know. We breathe in to obtain oxygen and we breathe out to expel carbon dioxide. The body naturally maintains optimal levels of oxygen and carbon dioxide, and this balance is in part maintained through how fast and how deeply we breathe. When we exercise, for example, we breathe faster and more deeply in order to replace the oxygen being used and expel the extra carbon dioxide produced by metabolic changes. Anxiety causes an increase in our breathing rate as part of our physical flight or fight response or to a perceived threat. However, when our breathing rate increases without any physical exertion, we breathe out too much carbon dioxide. If the body cannot quickly return the carbon dioxide levels to its optimal range, we experience further symptoms such as dizziness, lightheadedness, headache, Weakness and tingling in the extremities, as well as muscle stiffness. Some people who have panic attacks may overbreathe, producing these sensations of anxiety. For people with panic, these physiological sensations can be quite distressing, as they may be perceived as being a sign of an oncoming attack or something dangerous, such as a heart attack. Fact number two 50% of all lifetime mental illness begins by age 14 and 75% of them by age 24. This means that before you start high school, there is already a good chance you're displaying signs of mental affliction that has potential of becoming an illness without proper emotional hygiene. By the time you start working, there is an even greater chance your mind is already impacted to a point it's affecting your ability to reach your potential. When I look around society, I can see these facts are true, but I believe that if we work hard to teach the next generation proper care for the mind. In three generations or so, we will see these numbers change drastically. The Canadian Mental Health Association has calculated results from numerous surveys and confidential data analysis, determining these alarming rates of afflicted persons. One in six youths aged five to twelve are openly suffering with mental are openly suffering with mental health. Supposedly another one in six are suffering silently. One in five youth aged 13 to 18 years are openly suffering with mental health as well. Supposedly another one in five suffering silently. It gets more intense as we get older with one in three adults age 19 to 39 openly suffering and another one in three suffering silently. And by the time you're 40, we're at a 50% ratio, one in two adults suffering with mental health and the rest suffering silently. Fact number three, mental health is tested through evaluation of autonomic functioning, eye movement, desensitization and reprocessing, known as EMDR, biofeedback, bioresonance, micro, micro neurography, HRV, heart rate variability readings, and distress tolerance scale results. Autonomic functioning tests measure how your heart rate and blood pressure respond during exercise such as sleep breathing and forcefully breathing, known as the Valsalva maneuver, which helps to measure the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system. These systems have different functions and cannot work at the same time, which allows a physical point of monitoring the reaction of the human mind. According to Britannica, the symptomatic nervous system is a division of the nervous system that functions to produce localized adjustments, such as sweating as a response to increase in temperature and reflex adjustments of the cardiovascular system. Under conditions of stress, the entire sympathetic nervous system is activated, producing an immediate widespread response called the flight or flight response. This response is characterized by the release of large quantities of epinephrine from the adrenal gland, an increase in heart rate, an increase in cardiac output, skeletal musculoskeletal vasodilation, cutaneous, and gastrointestinal vasoconstriction, pupillary dilation, bronchial dilation, and piloerection. The overall effect is to prepare the individual for imminent danger. Botanica also defined the secondary opposing parasympathetic system as a division of the nervous system that primarily modulates visceral organs such as glands. While providing important control Of many tissues, the, para- the parasympathetic system is not crucial for the maintenance of life unlike the sympathetic system, which activates that flight-or-flight flight response. The nerve fibers of the parasympathetic nervous system are the cranial nerves, preliminarily the vagus nerve, and the lumbar spinal nerves. When stimulated, these nerves increase digestive secretions, and reduce the heartbeat. The parasympathetic nervous system is responsible for the body's rest and digestion response, which is when the body is relaxed, resting, or feeding. It basically undoes the work of the sympathetic division after a stressful situation, according to the ScienceDirect.com website. Eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, or EMDR, sorry. Readings are used to determine the bilateral stimulation, BLS, which simply means stimulation of both sides, as in both sides of the brain. This method involves moving your eyes in a specific way while you process traumatic memories. Scientific America reports that one of the ways EMDRs, eye movements, are thought to reduce PTSD symptoms is by stripping troubling memories of their vividness and the distress they cause. A study in the May 2012 Behavioral Research and Therapy examined the effectiveness of using beep tones instead of eye movements during EMDR. The researchers found that eye movements outperformed tones in reducing the vividness and emotional intensity of memories. Dr. Chris Lee, a psychologist at Murdoch University in Australia and co-author of the January 2011 study says, a common theory is that EMDR takes advantage of the memory reconsolidation. Every time we recall a memory, it's changed subtly when we file it away again. For instance, parts of the memory may be left out or new ideas and feelings stored alongside of it. Making eye movements during recall, Lee explains, may compete with the recollection for the space in our working memory, which causes the trauma memory to be less intense when recalled again. Biofeedback is a technique you can use to learn control of your body's functions, such as your heart rate. During biofeedback, you are connected to electrical sensors that help you receive information about your body. The system sends information to a small monitoring box that translates the measurements into a tone that varies in pitch or a visual meter on a computer screen that shows lines moving across a grid. The biofeedback therapist then leads you in mental exercises. You can learn to identify the mental activities that will bring out the physical changes you want. Bioresonance therapy is a method of energy treatment that processes the electromagnetic information of the human body using a sensitive Moranova device, which uses electrodes. Bioresonance can reduce the severity of the patients facing recurrent depressive disorder with moderate and mild episodes. Furthermore, the reduction in severity of the bioresonance group compared with the antidepressant medication group was statistically significant, according to the experimental and therapeutic medicine publications. <laughs> Microneurography is a neurophysiological method employed to visualize and record the traffic of nerve impulses that are conducted in peripheral nerves of the waking human. Myconeurography is a method using mental microelectrodes to investigate directly identified neural traffic in myelinated as well as unmyelinated efferent and afferent subjects. According to Science Direct, the sympathetic nerve fibers discharge spontaneously in a regular burst, but the activity increases in response to orthostatic stress, or will change with changes in blood pressure, according to Charcutian et al. 2005, allowing one to control systematic blood pressure against gravitational stress. HRV or heart rate variability, is when our heart is turned into our mental, emotional, and physical states. (coughs) Sorry, tuned into. It beats fast when we are excited or nervous, and it beats slow when we are calm and relaxed. Our heart rate is typically under the control of the automatic nervous system, (coughs) which regulates how many organs and unconscious physical processes in our body. The automatic system has two branches that are opposing effects on the heart rate activity. The sympathetic nervous system kicks in during stress and ramps your heart rate up, while the parasympathetic system slows your heart rate down when it's time to relax. It is the healthy variation in time between each of our heartbeats, beat to beat, and indicates the impact of psychological and physiological stress and fatigue on the body. The more relaxed and fear from stress you are, the more variability in the time between each of your heartbeats is. So, HRV is an important psychological marker for overall health, the body and body-mind connection. It indicates how well the body can prevent or recover from stress and disease states. <clears throat> an example of electro cardiogram or recording of the heart's electrical activity to show HVR is where each spike is a heartbeat and the time intervals show are shown in seconds. The relationships between HRV and health has been studied in unborn babies through to the aged. Just as having high HRV is desirable and good, having low HRV is a warning sign. It is predictive of increased risk of diabetes and mental and morality mortality, sorry, in middle-aged men. And this is likely to extend to the general population as well. Low HRV is also associated with increased blood pressure and can be used to project how well patients will recover from heart attacks. Considering that the brain is a major part of the nervous system, it follows that reductions in HRV are associated with stress and mental health issues. We know that low levels of HRV are related to depression, anxiety, rumination, and self-criticism. On the other hand, increased HRV is associated with improved self-control, ability to deal with negative emotions and situations, as well as providing more social engagement. Given its relationship to all these important processes, researchers have been studying how to harness HRV for physical and mental health applications, generally referred to as HRV training. This often involves breathing exercise and relaxation or mindfulness meditation techniques. Although not essential in boosting your HRV, often HRV exercises are paired with HRV biofeedback programs that provide instant visual or auditory information about your HRV as you work on moving it towards a target value. There is a kind of breathing that is straightforward way to increase your HRV and bring about the calming and soothing emotions we often feel when we feel safe. Feeling safe is linked to HRV and higher levels of HRV are in turn linked to greater ability to self-soothe when stressed. This is important because by self-regulating, we can slow our body and minds and recenter so that we can take effective action without making a situation worse, according to the mindfulness and clinical psychology solutions. The Hamilton rating scale for depression, often abbreviated to HRSD or HDRS or HAMD, was written in the late 1950s by Mark ha- Max Hamilton, a psychiatrist at Leeds University and originally designed to evaluate the performance of the first group of antidepressants. According to Occupational Medicine, Volume 65, Issue 4, June 2015, page 340, the scale is still widely used to measure the effectiveness of antidepressant medication in clinical trials. The questionnaire is designed to be used by a healthcare professional during clinical interview with an already identified depressed patient. Hamilton suggests that no specific questions needed to be asked during the unstructured interview in a healthcare setting. He indicated that the value of the questionnaire depends entirely on the scale of the interviewer. The scale is widely available and has two common versions with either 17 or 21 items and a score between 0 and 4 points. The first 17 items measure the severity of depressive symptoms and as an example, the interviewer rates the level of agitation clinically noted during the interview and how the mood is impacted on an individual's work or leisure pursuits. The extra four items are extended on the extended 21 point scale measures factors that might be related to depression but are not thought to be measures of severity such as paranoia and obsessional or compulsive symptoms. Scoring is based on the 17 item scales With scores of zero to seven considered as being normal, eight to sixteen suggested mild depression, seventeen to twenty-three moderate depression, and scores over twenty-four indicated were indicative of severe depression. The maximum score being fifty-two on the seventeen-point scale. The Distress Tolerance Scale, previously distress, Distress Tolerance Questionnaire (DTQ), developed by Simons J.S. and Garher, RM, in 2005, is a 15-item self-report measure of emotional distress tolerance. According to the Addictions Research Center, individuals select on a 1 to 5 Likert scale, strongly disagree, mildly disagree, feel neutral, mildly agree, and strongly agree about each of the 15 statements about distress. The National Library of Medicine says the scales consist of four subscales, tolerance three items, for example, I can't handle feeling distressed or upset, appraisal six items, for example, my feelings of distress or being upset are not acceptable, absorption three items, for example, my feelings of distress are so intense that they completely take over, and regulation, three items. For example, I'll do anything to avoid feeling distressed or upset. Subscale scores are calculated by averaging responses to all items on each subscale. A higher order distress tolerance score is calculated by averaging the subscale mean scores. Fact number four, 78% of all mental health symptoms are unseen by others, being in the mind of the sufferer but very visible and real for them. Mental health afflictions are commonly mislabeled as social inadequacies by peers until formal diagnosis is given. Many are so used to their survival masks they don't realize how afflicted their minds are. Anger is more of an innate response than a natural emotion. Prolonged negative emotion is a sure sign the mind is uncomfortable and and. Unheeded warnings will quickly lead to physical ailments. Depression, anxiety, and behavioral disorders are among the leading cause of illness and disability among adolescents. Many teens say they feel safe to be themselves in the woods. Fact number five. Mental health care is unregulated procedure and practice standards vary across provinces. This has resulted in mental health reporting not wholly being included in insurance and medical reporting forms except in vague correlation to physical ability to perform tasks, causing sufferers that work hard to continue being productive members of society to begin given a consideration as a liability in the workplace. Fact number six. Loneliness is a deceitful companion. 33% of adults experience feelings of loneliness worldwide. of depression cases can be attributed to loneliness. A person's isolation may be a sign of depression or an anxiety disorder due to a feeling of being embarrassed, not feeling understood, feeling different or disconnected from others, feelings of worthlessness, self-doubt and helplessness, or having a prominent fear or stressor. 13% of all Canadians suffer from social anxieties like fear of not being accepted, or inability to interact with others for fear of judgment or maltreatment. The digital age has given our children more ways to connect with others than ever before, but many researchers are concerned with how social networking and fewer face-to-face relationships may have contributed towards a 48% drop in empathetic concern for others over the past few decades. Studies also link how empathy is increased Bullying, narcissism, and rigid have linked low empathy to the increase in bullying, narcissism, rigid belief systems, and civic apathy. Fact number seven, cost of therapy averages between $150 to $300 per hour, depending on the qualifications of the professional. Among the employed, the portion with mental health-related disability increased 2.3 percentage points from 2019, 63 to percent to, in 2021, 8.7%. 70% of all disability costs in the workplace are attributed to mental illness, and one-third of short- and long-term disability claims are related to mental health problems. 77% of all households are afflicted by financial well-being anxiety. Fact number eight. there are scrupulous number of rules that have formed an age-limited care. Of course, everyone can get care, but independent voices only granted to those over 16. One in people over 15 years of age have experienced domestic violence. 55% of all households are affected by generational trauma. One out of every five, that's 20.2% of students reported being bullied A higher percentage of male than female students reported being physically bullied at 6% versus 4%, whereas a higher percentage of female than male students reported being the subject of rumors, 18% versus 9%, and being excluded from activities on purpose, 7% versus 4%. Bullied students reported that bullying occurred in the following places. The hallway or stairwell at school, 43%, inside the classroom. 42%, in the cafeteria, 27%, outside of the school grounds, 22%, online or by text, 15%, in the bathroom or locker room, 12%, and on the school bus, 8%. Believe children and teens are more likely to experience depression, anxiety, and sometimes long-term damage to self-esteem. So you would think that we would allow them a voice before they were 16. Fact number nine, spending time around trees and looking at trees reduces stress, lowers blood pressure, and improves your mood. 4% of all Canadians are suicidal. Most consider the forest a place of peace, making it one of the preferred places to choose to connect with the afterlife. 75% of runaway teens hang out in popular areas such as fast food restaurants, malls, bus terminals, and parks. The tree canopy and natural landscape in urban areas has been shown to reduce crime by 18% according to recent studies due to increased attentiveness, human presence, and cues to care. Getting out of buildings and into natural green space, walking, or forest bathing has been recognized as beneficial and is sometimes even prescribed by general practitioners. Fact number 10. Chronic stress is common during acute grief and can lead to a variety of physical and emotional issues such as depression, trouble sleeping, feelings of anger and bitterness, anxiety, loss of appetite, and general aches and pains. Profound grief can change a person's psychology and personality forever. The initial changes that occur immediately after suffering a significant loss may go unnoticed for several weeks or months after the death or separation of a loved one has occurred or another traumatic experience grief is not limited to the felt loss of a loved one due to death grief can also be felt as the loss of a relationship loss of a position loss of a sense of community belonging loss of a way of life loss of a friendship loss of identity loss of comforting possession or the loss of anything that held important to you importance to you fact number eleven Finding help can be difficult as there are a few practitioners and all of them have limited promotions. Most provinces do not have support in place that are usually reserved for families oh, sorry, most provinces do have supports in place, but they are usually reserved for families with institutional interference in play, such as those involved with children's aid and the legal system. But if you seek them out, they will help you. Most cities have a Family Service and Counseling Bureau. Most universities have a psychological program that most operates mostly as a walk-in service. You can also visit services considered to be for the homeless and runaway street youth as they are all connected to these services and will send you with a reference to someone that could help you. Most cities have a not-for-profit organizations that lend to helping youth, but you really need to know what type what to type in the search bar to have them come up as a result. I found writing overnight suicide watch gave me the most reliable resources and links for initial counseling. Typing places for youth housing and supports was most useful for finding associated links to mental health and emotional well-being counseling resources. However, for immediate response, the helplines will direct you to the hospitals and psychological care centers, which I have gathered from my conversations with youth and parents who have attempted to use these services here in Ottawa that they often turned away with only a possibility of a referral to another service that usually starts a loop of people telling you they are not a good fit for the program unless, again, you are entangled in the system, for better or worse. I have been told by many that they had to wait till things got out of hand to get help, despite seeking it for years, since the onset of emotional tolerance concerns throwing money at the problem doesn't seem to work either as studies have shown society needs to gain an understanding of daily emotional hygiene practice to teach ourselves how to recover from the past children growing up in gentrified neighborhoods experience 22 percent higher rates of anxiety and depression having people to talk to someone to depend on or making new connections through hobbies or social group can help reduce the risk of mental illness. 80% of individuals have a significant reduction of symptoms and improved quality of life with the combination of pharmacological and psychological treatments and support. A compassionate and understanding support system will allow all around you is priceless. We may not be costly professionals, but we can all do our part. Mindfulness and grounding with gratitude exercises are excellent tools for learning to balance your mind with many resources available to guide you in these types of activities. It is believed that regularly engaging your brain in developing understanding while recording patterns through games may give give someone a greater sense of achievement and therefore a sense of purpose towards other activities. Fact number 12, and this is the last one we all have mental health we are all responsible for the well-being of our minds it is important we all understand that each of our minds are as afflicted as the next in different ways this means we are all responsible for encouraging each other to see the light that each of us has within imagine if everyone within a mile of you wrote their name on a balloon and placed it wrote their name and placed it in a filled balloon located in a hall Not only would the hall be filled with balloons, but it would be next to impossible to find your single balloon amongst all the others. If you were told finding your balloon meant you would win eternal happiness, you would probably go through all kinds of emotions while you search for your balloon, tossing others out of your way only to have more balloons fall into where you just looked. You can see everyone else's happiness, but can't find yours. However if each balloon you picked up, you gave to the person whose name was in it. So it, cleared, so it was cleared from the hall and they did the same in no time. Everyone would be holding their own happiness and the hall would be clear for people to celebrate in. The hall is life on earth. Help each other clear the chaos of scattered joy so we can all celebrate living held in the safety by all in our community. As I leave you to think on this topic, I challenge you to think about this mindfulness exercise until then as well. Ask yourself if you are a statistic, or if you are more than that. Ask yourself if you are ready to start making emotional hygiene part of your life. Now write down your promise to yourself that includes some of the things you may do with the goal of generating a life that equates equates to your personal happiness. I will close the conversation by drawing another card from the Positive Attitude Zone, PASS cards for short. This question will be opening question for next episode. The card drawn is yellow for forethought. And the question is, what can you do to help someone? We will get to that next week. But in the meantime, you can get your PASS cards at www.graduatethrivers.com. That's spelled capital G, small R-A-D, capital U, small I-T-S, capital T, small H R I B E R S dot com. Stay wonderful, wholesome, happy, open-minded, and as natural as possible, and smile as much as you can. Take care until we talk again. This has been Heidi Hardy on a Light for Change podcast.